And my name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Billy, as the world tries hard to cheat death once again, I've got some extra time, which I thought that I would spend by working on your song, and it's shameful and I'm sorry. Thanks for joining us once again here on Transmissions. It's great to have you along. Our guest this week on the show is singer-songwriter John Grant. You might know him from his work with Midlake or The Czars, Sinead O'Connor or Hercules and Love Affair. His new album is called Boy from Michigan, and it was recorded and produced by Kate LeBon. It's a really fascinating album full of incredible melodies and a really powerful vocal performance by John as well as really funny and incisive and sometimes, very often actually, heartbreaking lyrics. Before we get into the conversation though, I will remind you that Transmissions is supported primarily by our Patreon subscribers. So if you dig what we're doing week after week, we put up a new episode every Wednesday, as you're aware at this point, you can head over to our Patreon page and pledge your support There's all sorts of cool stuff you'll get for doing so, including in this week's case, uh, John walked me through some of his recent movie purchases, some of his recent Criterion splurging. So we cut that out of this episode, and there's a little bonus clip available only for our Patreon subscribers. We're going to start doing that a lot more often, having a little bit extra of these conversations for you over there if you can't get enough. So... Head over to the Patreon page and check out what we're doing. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Here's John Grant, the boy from Michigan himself. It was really an honor and privilege to speak with him, and I had a great time doing so. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and I will speak with you a little bit more on the other side. Thanks for listening. John, thanks so much for joining us here on Transmissions. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. I'm curious, what is the um, what's the weather like there? You're in you're in you're in Iceland, right? Yeah. Um, can you see outside? I don't know. I I can. Yeah. It seems. Uh... It's a little overcast and cold, and there's still snow on the ground. There's a lot of snow. That's that is it is it is it pretty uh is it pretty comfortable for you overall right now? You've you've been there since what, two thousand eleven, is that right? That's right, yeah. Um I mean I, I did cold weather, so I mean I, I like hot weather too, but I don't I don't my body doesn't seem to do as well in the hot weather as it does in the cold weather, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I do I do love hot weather, but I mean I I just sort of struggle in it like <sighs> 
you know so yeah um it sort of pisses me off you know yeah <laughs> what are you gonna do right? <laughs> you you so you've been in Reykjavik since you know a, a decade or so does it feel more or less um like home right now for you um, you know, I, I think I've spent so much time living in different places that I, I mean, I just sort of make where I have, I make a little nest wherever I am, you know, and I feel I have my things around me and I feel at home wherever I am because I'm, I'm sort of used to being around different cultures. And um, I mean, we could get into like a three hour conversation about what the word home means, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But I just, you know, I feel like you just, you make your home wherever you go and, you know, you find the people that you, that you feel comfortable around. And, you know, I've met some great people here. So I do feel like this is definitely a home for me. And it's definitely my main, my main, you know, place where I hang my hat these days. So, yeah, I feel comfortable calling it home. And, you know, a lot of times I didn't feel at home when I was at what was supposed to be home. So it's just all it's all quite relative, isn't it? Well, yeah, it seems like this new record sort of is 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 sort of tied into that and sort of an examination yeah. of, of the place where where you where you came from, obviously calling it boy from Michigan, obviously sort yeah. of sort of hints hints in that uh, that direction. Totally. But I, I wonder, you know, so much of your work reflects on the the ins and outs of America, and I wonder, does being farther away from it, how does that affect the way you look at at the country? Does give does having some space make you feel like there's a kind of distance that allows you to to look at it from a different angle, or or does it sort of feel like you're still Part, part of it to some degree um I, th I would say a little bit of both i mean i i definitely you know i like being american um you know i love all of our you know i love our culture i mean a lot of a lot of aspects of our culture you know that i grew up with which is sort of what i'm talking about on i mean it's very very difficult to sep your, separate yourself from the place that you're from right um but um so it's a great question. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, when I left the, uh, the States for Germany, you know, I was, I thought that Germany was going to be easier for me. Yeah. Or was I wrong? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I thought it would be easier to be gay in Germany and, you know, it wasn't that, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the problems that I was dealing with, you know, some of them were, you know, there was a prison in my own mind. So it didn't, sort of didn't really matter where I went, you know. And and so, um, but there were also aspects about German culture that were much more challenging. Um, but I threw myself into that and I never spoke English there, um, you know, unless I had to because, you know, somebody didn't speak German. Yeah, because you were probably talking to an American probably. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of times, um, you know, somebody that maybe wasn't as far along yet with the language. And um, so, um, you know, I really sort of threw myself into that culture. And you, you realize very quickly, as I'm sure anybody who is listening, who has, you know, had a lot of experience abroad, um, will, will tell you it's pretty much, you know, people are 
it's a, it's a really weird paradox because different cultures are extremely different and you really cannot, you really got to be careful about going into a new culture and thinking you recognize words or you think you recognize traditions or you recognize things because a lot of times, you know, you, you there's this concept of false friends, you know, something looks the same, but it's coming, it's coming from a totally different angle. So you learn that really quickly because there's all sorts of, I'm sure there's tons of blogs out there about the misunderstandings that come about, you know, with expatriates and stuff when they move to a new country. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel still feel very American and very tied to um, the U S and then I also, you get a different, um, a lot of times you can sort of get a little bit more wrapped up in the negativity uh, the negative things that you see going on there because you're, you you know you you know like my friends back in denver for example and elsewhere like in texas you know they're just going on with their daily lives i mean there are a lot of horrible things happening and have been but you know a, a lot of people don't see that in daily life you're just doing what you've always done sure so sure so yeah you definitely you know if you concentrate on new i was really sort of going berserk for a while here reading too much news and having it, you know, you know, getting caught in the, in the web of algorithms and targeting and all that bullshit. And, and, um, it was really making me sick for a while. Was that happening while you were in the process of making this record? Yeah, it was. Um, part of it was, I, I sort of, it was hard to tune out completely while I was making the record, but I sort of really just closed myself off in the studio and, I mean, you know, Kate LeBon was living here producing and she had her um, engineer with her, Samer Kuja. And so the three of us were basically working on the record. But a lot of times, you know, when I still had to write lyrics and stuff, they would go um, do things that they needed to do. And I would stay in my studio and just finish um, what I needed to do. And so I spent a lot of time um, holed up in my studio and with them and also alone. And so that was, I sort of felt, you know, like I was, I was quite um, shielded from, you know, what was going on in the world because I chose to be, you know. Sure. In terms of just the pandemic and all that, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, not just because of the political stuff that was going on, but, you know, mostly at that point, you know, the pandemic was becoming more real every day. I mean, we went into the studio on the 1st of March last year. You know, it was planned months in advance. So, right. Everything was just kicking off then, you know, and, and so they had to make a decision about whether they were going to stay. And they saw that, you know, they saw that some beautiful things were happening in the studio. And so they decided to, you know, after checking out the situation here in Iceland and seeing that it was, you know, relatively safe place to be in. Yeah. You know, compared to, you know, other places, you know, where there was, you know, the, the literal shit show going on. Um they just decided to hole up here with me and do this record because we were making great progress. And, and so that's what we did. So they ended up staying for two months initially. And then um, Kate would come back in June and then both of them came back in August and um, to finish the record. And I mean, I, I, I didn't even really, it didn't really start to affect me, you know, mentally or physically until until I finished my record in October and sort of, you sort of come out of your hole and it's like, Oh, you know, like a, like a gopher coming out of its hole and, and looking around after a, yeah. a nuclear bomb or something. You know? 
Yeah, yeah. The cover almost has like a a, a science fiction post apocalyptic feel to it. The cover of the album. That, I mean, uh, if if yeah. I have it right, that's you with the the glowing eye. That's the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an incredible cover! It reminds me of a cable from the X Men comic books. Um, his eye. Oh, that's cool. His, um, his eye glows really like cool. that. Yes, um, I I really love it too. And you know, I have this huge love for um, the blacklight poster art of the 70s and also the black velvet um, paintings, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I remember seeing, I, I, I don't know. I suppose I became aware of the black velvet stuff as well in the 70s. You know, you'd see these, a lot of times you'd see these really cheesy ones like with, um, you know, the, the crying clowns like in uh, John Cusack's apartment in the grifters. Mm-hmm. Um and I love all of it. You know, I love the, the cheesy stuff. There's an incredible one of a slee stack from Land of the Lost on Black Velvet, yeah. which is, you've got to see that. It's absolutely incredible. I want to get one. And this guy, I, I got in touch with the um, Black Velvet Museum in Los Angeles, and they led me to this artist whose name is Gil Corral. And he did um, this artwork for the album. So he is this, you know, masterful painter in the medium of, you know, Black Velvet. And he made this beautiful painting for me. Actually, I should I should go grab it and show it to you, right? I'd love to see it. Yeah. You see that? Holy shit! That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. There's I didn't re- but, um, yeah the the jacket uh, detail yeah. is really really cool and I don't think you see that on the cover as much but that's well we we sort of took that off we just thought the head was sort of was really um, yeah dramatic, you know that's incredible. So, yeah. Um, and he did, he did a, a total of four paintings. So there's, um, several others in the, like in the in liners. The, in the yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. And so, you know, what you're saying about science fiction, it totally ties into that, you know, that, I mean, I was really, you know, I, I think science fiction is amazing. And so I really love all of that, so that's good that it looks like that, because that's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, well, I keep thinking about how the record, in some ways, it feels like it's an examination of your your personal youth, but it also feels like an examination of a certain time as well. And yeah. I sort of think about that that future lust of the seventies and eighties. You know, it, it it really, I I don't know. Maybe I'm too caught up in our current moment to really reflect on whether or not that still exists or how it exists, you know, but it, it yeah. does, it does feel specifically and, and different from the nineties and different from the early two thousands. Like there was this, this hunger for the future in those decades. And, um, yeah. And as a kid growing up in that, do you feel like you had any sense of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we were so excited about, you know, about all, you know, about all the technology that was happening, you know, people, you know, we knew, I suppose we already knew about the bad side of technology from, you know, Hiroshima and, sure. and um, you know, all that stuff. But I think we still, I think we still thought we were going to keep a handle on things or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we thought, we thought computers were going to, you know, cure cancer right away and, yeah probably and and you know um you couldn't imagine um well i suppose people like george orwell could imagine 
how things were going to be used, how technology would be used, you know? Sure. Although it's very, it's very strange in things like 1984, the, they have very rudimentary technology, don't they? It's like they've, they've sort of crushed the growth. Well, yeah, and I, I, I wonder if that's something that we... There's this particular... There, People have a strange fraught relationship with technology, you know, because we because we we we, yeah. we depend on it and we understand its value and we understand why it's so remarkable and 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 honestly in our time miraculous, you know. There's so many miraculous yeah. technologies that we have at our at yes. our disposal and yet we we are sort of permanently nervous about uh what they might become or what they might make us become. And I I I feel like on this record, so much of it. Well, I'm curious before we before we move on, uh, or before I get into that. When did you move? Yeah. When did you move from Michigan to to Denver as a kid? Because that that happened when you were sort of. When, when was that? That was when I was twelve. When I was twelve years old, we moved from Michigan to. So it was really just my you know right before puberty started, because um, I was sort of a late bloomer too. Um, so, you know, I guess, you know, that period is quite romanticized by me. Um, the period before you moved or when you moved? The the period before I moved. Because things were relatively simple and uncomplicated there before I went out into the big world. And, you know, I, so the boy from Michigan is, you know, about this moment when my buddy Scott, um, you know, said to me, you're going to need to watch your back out there because, you know, you're he saw that I was sensitive, you know, more sensitive than some. And, and, um, I think he was just worried that I was going to get eaten alive. And I sort of did, he was sort of right. You know, I sort of wasn't, I wasn't prepared for, you know, what was coming, which was, you know, being introduced into a much heavier, you know, religious, like strict religious community, like, you know, turbo religion with the Southern Baptist community there out in Colorado and also, you know, the caste system in America, because we moved into a very, very rich school district. And, you know, so we were considered, you know, we were just sort of normal middle class back where we came from. But, you know, I was definitely, you know, sort of the scum of the earth or total white trash, you know, coming into the new thing. And then there was the sexual component as well, which was like, in the world, it wasn't cool because it wasn't traditional and it was wrong for other reasons rather than, you know, God. And then at church, it was like, well, you're going to be separated from your family and God for all time if you, you know, keep being a pervert. And I guess in the world, it's seen more as a genetic defect, you know. And whereas in the, um, you know, then in the church or at home, it's seen as a spiritual defect, you know. Yeah, so it's sort of a so bad on both sides situations. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, um, I mean, it was just nasty. And, you know, because of who I was, I wasn't able to, um, there wasn't really any help available that I could recognize. And if there was some somebody that was willing to talk about it, I was too scared to talk about it as well. So I was sort of, you know, there was that aspect of it you know, that's particularly painful to think about that, you know, I was sort of in my own way too, because I couldn't, I was too terrified of what was happening to be able to even have a discussion about it. 
you've said in 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 other interviews, I think that maybe people knew you were gay before you quite understood that you were gay. Is that? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I I must have thought my name was actually faggot when I was a child, you know, because I mean, I was hearing that from you know as young as I can remember. I mean, of course, they weren't saying it to me when I was two years old, um, <laughs> but but you know, <laughs> but you know. Um, my parents did say once that they thought, you know, they could tell that there was something different about me when I was two, you know? Huh. Um, and, you know, I mean, that stuff, you know, I, I was told what I was long before I knew about sex or who I was attracted to. So sure, I've always felt a lot of rage about that. You know, the arrogance of somebody attacking you and telling you who you are before you even had a chance to become cognizant of it yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's brutal, and that's like a really, truly kind of cruel way to interact with a person, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't even really imagine it, you know? I mean, I've always been sort of flummoxed by people's audacity and their arrogance and their, you know, just the level of hatred, you know? So it did cause a lot of anger in me because, you know, I you know, the thing that was so horrible about it was that I believed that I deserved to be treated the way that I was treated. That's the worst thing about it. Yeah. And, and I mean, go ahead. And, and, and do you feel like at that point, I'm just imagining the internal internalization of, 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 of what that must've, what that must've felt like. It it must've been, really really brutal and that that anger probably was hard to to deal with and and destructive yep yeah absolutely and i still deal with it you know i'm still um i i mean i think it's something that i'm gonna have to deal with for the rest of my life but i mean i i have a lot better tools to deal with it these days and and um but yeah i think uh I don't know, you know, you you feel a lot of shame because you feel like, why couldn't I see that I was okay? Or why couldn't I, you know, why couldn't I do a better job of just being myself? But it's quite understandable. It was sort of a perfect storm of, there was no space for me to even think about being myself. And then I internalized the hatred that was directed at me and wielded that against myself, which we see in all sorts of communities, right? I mean, that's what happens, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so that's sort of the, you know, the, the, then, you know, the story of each of our lives with you and me and everybody out there, because, you know, I don't consider my story to be particularly special. It's just one of, you know, 8 billion stories and everybody's got one. And we all, as soon as we turn 18, you know, we're responsible for figuring out how to thrive and get it, get, get the job done in this world. Right. Yeah. It'd be, it's up to you to, figure out how to process whatever it is that you've been through and and figure out how to live in this world in a in a productive way and find your community and find your home and and it can be done and and but it's um I don't know I mean I I feel like I'm a very I feel like I'm quite happy and optimistic but there's definitely you know there's definitely a lot of scarring um from what I experienced back then yeah, I mean, I think you say you say that in one of the songs, right? The American dream can cause <laughs> scarring and some nasty bruising. Is I think I think that's the I might I might be getting the lyric a little wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, it's it's sort of, you know, it's sort of, there's, there's so, certain people that are invited to the American dream and certain people who weren't necessarily invited to the American dream, you know? Yeah, it's why I get, so, um, it's why I get so frustrated listening to people, uh, certain people kind of complain about cancel culture and all this, this stuff, because even if there are some potentially like honest ways that we can talk about the toxicity of like a social media environment, it's like, shut up like you've you've been the it's canceled you've canceled people's entire existences through through like gross disgusting you know uh hatred the sort of thing that the sort of thing that you're talking about you know absolutely and then you know and then when you react to that because you can't take it anymore or you finally that voice comes up in you and says you know what you don't have to you don't have to you don't have to let this happen and you don't have to be destroyed by it. And you don't have to be destroyed by your anger. And you don't have to be destroyed by the rage that you feel because of these people who, you know, have attacked you your entire life and tried to, you know, tell you that you weren't welcome here and that you, you know, this and that and the other thing. And you really don't have to do that. You don't have to put up with it anymore. I find, you know, as you know, we, we have this huge conversation. It's what is this thing that, you know, this paradox of what we're experiencing, you know, the bully pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes. And when you let him get away with it, he just does more. He says, look what this pussy will let me get away with. Right. And then when you start to push back, they go, oh, my God, can you look how he's acting? Can you even believe how he's oh, my God, he's like totally unhinged you know and yeah yeah it's that gaslighting you know and so like you're saying we just call that shit out and we say you know what fuck you you don't you can't turn that shit around on us Mm -hmm. that's right you know what you've done you know and it's fucking bullshit (laughs) so yeah no absolutely i i I feel like i want to state at this point and this is one of my favorite things about the record and your discography in 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 Mm. in its whole is that we're talking about some of the scarring and we're talking about some of the pain and we're talking about these, these, these things that are really under are are, are woven into the fabric of, of the music and the lyrics, but, Mm. but also your records are so vibrant and joyful and expressive. Mm. And like the, on this record, you know, I, I hear, traces of devo i mean i hear i hear abba i hear beautiful electronic stuff uh and 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 it's so exciting to listen to and your voice sounds amazing and it's this lush thing so so i guess what i mean to say is or what i what i would like to get at hopefully is the sense that like do do you think of it almost as it's funny too. Your music is really funny. So, so do you feel yeah. like there is a um, when you're in the process of making this stuff? Are you thinking about it almost in terms of 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 balance? Where you mentioned the happiness and optimism that you have, and I think that that's part of the the record as well. Do you think that some of yeah. that comes from the the music in a way that maybe the lyrics just wouldn't wouldn't be able to get at and and what's that relationship like yeah i mean that's a that's a really beautiful way to ask that question i it is a tough it's sort of a tightrope walk because i sort of feel like i want to um 
you know, I want to express at the same time the great pain of the human condition, you know, because even the people that, you know, even the people, and this is even hard for me to admit sometimes, but even the people who have victimized or attacked or bullied, I mean, they have their own stories too, and they were made the way they were through, you know, what they've been through and everything else. The difference is, is that the, the other people, you know, it's the problem is, is that they're the ones going out into the world and attacking, mm-hmm. you know, so that, so that finally you're like, wait a minute, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm going to either I've got to stand up for myself or commit suicide and I'm not going to commit suicide because I, I, I can't imagine what that would do to my, to my, the people that care about me, of you know? Of course. Yeah. And, you know, I just, you know, there's just so much, you know, the, the, the beauty of, you know, existence is overwhelming as well. Like the, you know, the vastness of, of the, of musical culture, of music culture and, um, you know, nature and even technology and, you know, you know, I'm a big synth nerd and I love, you know, Blade Runner. I mean, that's probably, you know, that was probably the ultimate expression of my love for science fiction was seeing Blade Runner. And so I do know that there's intense, incredible joy in the world. And I feel that. And I love humor. And, you know, I've always been, you know, humor and laughing has always been extremely important to me. Um, and so that's, those are all aspects of me. And, and so I want all of those to be represented in the music. And I also don't think that what is considered to be the dark material is necessarily can be categorized as negative because pretty much everybody's got it, whether they even are, whether they're aware of it or not, you know? Yeah. Some of us, some of us are forced to be much more aware of you know, things than others. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, I think it's, I think it's all valid, you know, I mean, I want to be able to say this sucks and this is bullshit. And I think you should be able to talk about, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with, you know, suicidal ideation, you should be talking about it. If you're struggling with, you know, because it's all part of the human condition and it's all valid. So, and it, you know, that's what, I guess what I'm trying to say is that is what everyday life is like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You never, you never just get HIV or um, this, whatever this difficult thing is you're dealing with. It's all mixed up with, there's beautiful music and lots of assholes and lots of incredible, wonderful people as well. And lots of tiny little moments of, getting tangled up in cords and dropping your phone and, you know, traffic and noises and shit coming from, from all sides all day long. And so I sort of want to, I want all of that to be present in the music, you know? Yeah. The grotesque, the sublime, the, the, and there are songs on the record, you know, I'm I'm thinking of, of like Mike and Julie, where it's just this, like, Uh, it feels like you're just dropped into this, this moment of, of, mm you being a young person and having a sense of that vastness of the world and complexity of the world, but probably yeah. not any sort of the language with which to address that. And that's such an important and and scary part of being a, a young person encountering the world for the first time is that you get a sense of that vastness you're talking about long before you're given the, 
the the language to sort of reckon with it and and so you feel it before you even before you even know what to name it and that's such a the record gets into that to me it feels like it has a sense of that in there that um the possibility and the potential and i guess that ties back to the future thing a little bit you know so it it feels like i totally agree it it feels like an optimistic record to me in that way I mean, I see all of my records as very optimistic because it's about showing up. It's about continuing to show up in spite of however you may be feeling. You know, if you feel like it's because there is incredible shit in store for you, but it also does, you know, I also feel like, yeah, it does get better, but it also gets harder. Yeah. It continues to get harder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just finished the biography of of Ram Dass. Like I listened to the, to his uh, his biography, and and by the end of that book, you know he he suffered a, a really bad stroke, and a lot of his faculties yeah. were were taken from him. And and some yeah. of the most painful writing in the book is is at the end, towards the end, where he's also talking about the access to this immense sense of peace that he's found. You know, and the two things yeah. the two things aren't happening at different times; they're happening at the exact same time. And yeah, and that's true. That's that's the human thing. You're I I read in the biography of this record on your on your website that that Kate yeah. gave you or or suggested you read. I don't know when this happened. Slaughterhouse Five yeah. by by Kurt Vonnegut. When was that? She gave me that a few years ago, before we way before we started working on this record. But I just you know she had said you know she was like uh, I'm gonna kick your ass if you don't read that book because it's incredible and you're gonna love it yeah and of course I already knew I already knew that Kurt Vonnegut is I mean if you want to talk about I mean he's a master of this you know of what we're talking about putting the 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 truth the the nasty truth together with the beauty of everything you know and in a way that's absolutely you know life affirming and uplifting and hilarious and devastating and heartbreaking and and so you know i i did my homework like kate told me to do you know and read the book and it it is a masterpiece and a lot of he's written a lot of them you know yeah um, yeah campings and being another one and gosh there's so much there's so much incredibly good stuff out there um i remember but yeah, this, oh sorry Go ahead. no i apologize I was, I was what i was gonna say was when i was a, a freshman in high school my English teacher, uh, we had like an anthology, uh, a short story anthology, and there was a, a Vonnegut story in there, Har- Harrison Bergeron, and I wrote like a review of it or an essay about it or some something like that. And he, yeah. this teacher, I'll be sort of forever thankful um, because I was uh, not a sheltered, not a sheltered kid or whatever, but you know, I was coming from where I was coming from the way we all do. And he was like, he was like, you, you need to read Slaughterhouse five. And I, and I read it uh, as a freshman in high school and wow. And it awesome. And it did change my life. It's it. I I don't want to say like, I don't want to sound goofy. Well, it's too late. I already have sounded goofy, but, um, it's true. I mean, he's one of those writers that changes your life. Well, because it's what you're talking about, uh, and I grew up in a in a very religious culture as well, and uh, yeah. I think that when you grow up in a religious culture, 
you recognize prophets and a prophet is a is a critic and a is a is somebody who a prophet is somebody who can talk about the bombing of Dresden and the pure inhuman cruelty inflicted upon humans by other humans and also write about the transcendence of of existence you know and that to me is what a prophet is so so i can't help but hear your music through that lens as well and, and i wonder well, that's, that's a beautiful compliment which i humbly um yeah i'm delighted by <laughs> <laughs> do you when you were when you were a kid growing up in church did you did you recognize that you had a, a remarkable voice singing in in uh church definitely not definitely no. not and neither did anyone else <laughs> <laughs> did you sing to yourself um, i mean i sang i was considered to have a decent voice you know but um i i didn't you know i was much too in my teens you know once i started i don't know there was a moment my senior year in high school and i wish i could exp i'll probably have to express this in a song sometime because i it was a scene where I was, I mean, it happened, but it, the scene is like, I all of a sudden became so conscious of myself that I was paralyzed and could no longer be myself in front of people that I had always been able to be myself in front of mm. and who I'd always felt totally safe and comfortable in front of. All of a sudden it was like my skin was invisible Mm. And you could see, like, the, my skin was transparent, completely transparent. And, and each set of eyes on me was like a physical pain that I could feel, you know, like bearing into me. And that, that happened in one single moment in my senior year of high school. It had been building up to that and building up to that. And then all of a sudden I realized that everything had changed and I couldn't, I was totally paralyzed and couldn't, I couldn't act. It was in an acting class and I was trying out for a scene, was trying out for a play. And I, and I had always been, you know, like one of the kids that was considered to be, you know, a good actor. And, and the teacher was very encouraging to me. I talked to her recently and she's still one of my favorite people. And, um, you know, that was 30 years ago. Wow. But, um, and it's interesting to hear her talk about what that time was like um, for her as well through her eyes. But I, I just, um, it was just a terrifying, it was a terrifying, horrifying moment. I don't know if you've seen Hereditary. I have. Um, it was like some of those moments that you see Tony Collette going through. Of course, they're totally different subjects. But some of the, some, I mean, I think that was an Oscar performance from her, an Oscar caliber performance from her. And so that's why I keep going back to that movie over and over because I think it's so incredible. But there's these moments where you see realizations, like horrifying realizations come across her face. And that's what that moment was like for me. And I, and it, I mean, it was, it was sort of like having your spine broken in half, you know? Mm. And, um, so what, what? Why? Why did we get on that? What question was I answering? I think. That, I, I think. I think I was asking about you know. Your when? When did you recognize that you had a voice? You know. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So my point in telling you that whole thing was 
was like when I was young, I was I was hopeful and very open and very gregarious and very um, unafraid, you know. And then I had this moment where you know when I was still very young, sixteen or seventeen, and I was, you know, I was broken in half, and I, you know, my voice was almost inaudible, mm. you know, from that point. And I, you know, I had never had the guts to really sing the way I knew that I could, even in the theater, because I hadn't found my voice yet. I mean, there's a way of projecting and there's a there's a confidence that you almost have to have to be able to even understand that you can project your voice, you know? Yeah. And I and I and I totally lacked that because I um I didn't believe that I would be accepted becoming what I felt like I knew I should and would become. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, think, I didn't think there was any way I'd be taken seriously in that role because it would force me into a position of being vulnerable. And then, you know, the, then the questions would come even, it would be even more harsh, you know, like, why don't you have a girlfriend? Why aren't you, why aren't you developing, um, why aren't you as manly as, you know, why aren't, you know, I mean, cause when you're a late bloomer, people assume that you're genetically defective. You know what I mean? Like you don't have a, say you don't have a strong beard growth. All of that ties into the fact that you may also happen to be a homosexual as well. Sure. Well, you know, back then it was like all tied together. It's like, this is part of why you're a homosexual because it's a genetic psychological defect. You know, you're not a man. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was it was such a complicated, you know, it was so layered and, um, you know, and sometimes I feel ashamed even being on a show like this and talking to somebody about you like this when I see all these, you know, I mean, it's wonderful to see all these gay men out there who have such confidence and who from a very young age have not questioned. I mean, it's an incredible thing to see, but it makes me you know, sometimes I feel re even resentful towards them, even though I should just be overjoyed that they feel that way. But I, there are times when I feel, why the fuck can't I be that way? You well, know, well, why couldn't I be that way back, you know? Yeah. And it's just, you can't really do that. You can't compare yourself like that. Well, I mean, but you do. Yeah, you can't help but do it. That's the thing that sucks yeah. so much. That's the thing that sucks so yeah, much. Yeah. I think about how you are just maybe perhaps one of the most open and and honest and and um you don't seem to hold back now and and i'm sure that in the process of writing this record where you were sort of examining a time in your youth when that was not who you were there yeah. there must have been some sort of confrontation with with not confrontation, almost like, you know, speaking to your, your younger self. Do you, when you think back yeah. about that time, this is a thing that happens yeah. for me for sure. Does it, yeah. I mean, are you able to almost re-inhabit those moments pretty, pretty easily? Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of them are, a lot of them are just like, you know, just like it just happened yesterday. Yeah. But yeah. I will say that, I will say that Mike and Julie was, you know, what happened that weekend in Oklahoma out in the middle of the countryside, I hadn't thought about, I had forgotten all the details about that weekend. I had forgotten who was there. Yeah. And it came back to me because it was a, you know, that song is basically about, um, it's about 
I mean, obviously it's about Mike and Julie, but it's also about, you know, Mike was like the first, the first man that I was really sexually active with and also um, who I was, you know, very in love with and he was in love with me and he was very vocal about it. And I was so ashamed and so terrified of what was happening that I literally was never able to say a single word to him about, about it. I wasn't able to accept his love. And when he made, you know, when he wrote me the letter that said, you know, I don't think we're sick. I think, you know, I don't think we're what they're saying we are. I think we're okay. And I love you and I want us to be together. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, for me, that was like, no, I, I mean, I couldn't even look at him, you know, I, I just, you know, couldn't deal with it. And so, you know, thinking back on that, that's a pretty painful memory Yeah. thinking about, um, but then there was this weekend, you know, and I remember there's so many, there's so many different things going on inside of you. And part of it was also like, wait a minute, I haven't, I haven't come out yet. Like even, I don't even want to be told by another gay man who I am before I tell him who I am. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, and so there was so many different levels of, 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 of shit going on there. And, um, and it has, but I think, you know, I don't know. It makes you understand how nuanced, you know, you know, cause people are like, or when I hear people like decloseting people or forcing people out of the closet, I just, I don't like that at all. Mm-mm. I really don't like that at all. I really, really feel like it's a very, very delicate personal issue. Um, I mean, it's almost not even an issue anymore these days, is it? But it is still. I mean, it still exists. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely still exists. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other conversations going on that are being addressed, but this does still exist, especially in, you know, like maybe in the film community and maybe in the music community when you're having an image built for you that's supposed to project this type of thing and that, you know, when people get used to the money that you're raking in because of this specific image they've built for you, you know, then you, you know, you, we can, I'm sure we can think of a whole list of actors that could fall under this category possibly, but yeah, um, I, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair for people to to decide who should be able to handle that. I mean, it's, it's grotesque even it's, you know, it's really arrogant to fucking do that. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if somebody is, I, 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 you know, when it comes to like, I mean, when it comes to like, you know, the pastors who are, you know, preaching from the pulpit, you know, you know, that you're going to hell and fucking young boys behind the scenes, that's a whole different ball of wax to me. So obviously there are exceptions, but yeah, but even or somebody who is, you know, dragging the gay community through the dirt um, while themselves, you know, totally closeted and, you know, just playing both sides of the fence and stuff. So I get that. But even, you know, it's such a delicate issue, you know, and Mike and Julie, like it, that was, um, you know, like I said, a lot of things were like, like they happened yesterday. And Mike and Julie was like something that I had to slowly sort of remember and i even had i ended up talking to julie after 30 years of it'd been 30 years since i talked to her or seen her wow um because i sent her the song you know yeah and um, and i mean the you know the the interaction that i had with mike in the meantime was quite sad was i was you know back in the early 90s i was working at you know my favorite art house theater in 
Denver called the Mayan, which is still one of the most beautiful landmarks in the world and pieces of architecture. And um, I was, you know, selling popcorn at the concession stand there, just working. Um, and um, you know how you've got this long line in front of you before a movie because it's just crazy before the next showing. Uh -huh. And, you know, the customer I just finished serving walks away and then right in front of me is standing Mike, you know. Wow. And I haven't seen him in, you know, since that probably that weekend. And, um, and, you know, nothing was said. I mean, you know, he just ordered what he wanted and paid and walked away. And, you know, I, I feel like I saw that he knew who I was, you know, and I guess I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that he knew who I was because I probably looked quite a bit different at that point. I had a beard and, you know, I had some cap on and maybe he didn't know who I was, but I knew immediately who he was. So I, of course, I thought that he knew who I was, but it was a, it was a sad moment because he just walked off and I just thought about everything that had happened. And, and I, and I, I never saw him again after that or had any contact with him. Wow. Yeah. So that, you talked about in the biography that this record was sometimes difficult to make and that there were some some things. I mean, was that was that was it difficult to to go back and sort of re-examine those feelings or was the difficulty maybe more in in other areas? Mm, I mean, I would say it's it it was heavy because what was going on in the world was heavy. Yeah. And 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 and, you know, processing all of this stuff at the same time that all this stuff was going on, even though I was trying to close myself off. And, you know, Kate and Samer were going through their own personal things and trying to deal with how quickly the world was changing. Um, sure. So there were a lot of reasons why it was difficult. I mean, every album is difficult because it's it simply is a difficult process, you know. And it's also it's also has you know there's great it's just sort of like a, a tiny little microcosm of life you know I mean it, there's incredible joy and incredible fun and lots of laughing, and then there's also, you know, the heaviness of dealing with you know these these raw uh, dealing with, and also the 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 difficulty of distilling these things down to their essential elements to fit them into a song and try and express you know, through the music and the lyrics, the vibe of what you're trying to get across. And, you know, if you're going to do it the right way, you sort of have to sit with it. And well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just logical, isn't it? You, you know, when it's right, yeah. you know, you know, when you haven't got it yet and you know, when it's right. And, and um, I have to say it, it came quite easily, but, you know, being ready for it and being able to process it when it came was was a little bit of a different story, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of heaviness, um, the only baby is a very heavy song. Um, yeah, and and there's, and there's a lot of humor packed in there too, of course. Yeah, of course. And, and of, you know, the 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 video uh, really gets heavy, yeah. the video gets to that in a weird way where it's that thing I I had already used the term grotesque when we were talking about this but there was a there's a there's an invocation of the grotesque in in that video and in the and in the song because it's almost there's a feeling or there was a feeling maybe I don't I don't know if it's gone away for people that 
2016 to 2020, Donald Trump, you know, that sort of era, that that was sort of an aberration, like a hiccup in an otherwise functioning system. Uh, and that, right. and that now that he's gone, things are okay. But when I listen yeah, to that, we know that's not true, right? Well, yeah. So when I listen to the song, that's you know the refrain at the end. You know, that's the only baby that bitch could have. It's 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 to me, it feels like what you're talking about is yeah, this. It's not an aberration. It's the logical conclusion of a culture that worships uh, worships a god that is that is money or is commerce or is industry or yeah. is is any of those other things. And 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 we could get into all the ins and outs of you know people do want to to work and they do want to make things and they do want. They do want that purpose that 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 a sort of industry can can provide, but at the same time, it's a balancing act, and 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 um, yeah. So I guess and, I, we, and, we, and we and we 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 haven't we haven't juggled these things very well at all. No, no, no. <laughs> it's 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 all on one side. It feels like you know, and and yeah. to, and to me, yeah. as somebody who grew up in in a religious culture, you know, I think you 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 tend to zero in on that idea that maybe there's a great song on the last Blake Mills record called money is the one true God. And, 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 and there's some, you know, I think that there's some, some truth to that. And I, and I guess, were you reflecting on that, that fact that, that this was a logical sort of end, not an end, well, an end point to some degree or another, you know, but that this is where we're headed it's where we were always headed because it didn't start out well. You and, and nothing was done. You know, I mean, nothing. Nothing has ever been. You know, people say, "Well, you know, that wasn't us," and you know, you can't live in the past. And you know, things are fine now. We're not doing that now. We didn't do that now. But you know, if you build a foundation on that, you know. And you, you know, you build, you know, a bunch of shopping malls over graveyards, you know, like, and pull, you that's, know, that's, that's, I mean, how can it possibly end well? That's the, that's the quintessential, like, that's one of the quintessential horror stories, right? Is the, the, right. The, 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 the burial ground under, under whatever, you know, the house. Under progress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, so it, it, it feels like in a weird way, like that's what the, the Trump era was, was like an, an apocalypse in, in the real sense of the word, like a revealing, like a, like we had to, sh the, the facade got shredded entirely and it was always pretty flimsy to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's okay. To, it, I think you, we have to be critical of who we are and where we come from. And that doesn't mean that we, but I mean, I, I won't have this, you know, I'm not, in, not in my life, I'm not going to have this flag worshiping because there's people living all over the world. You know, I mean, there's people all over the place. And, you know, I think what we've done is particularly bad because we've said this is the model for the rest of the world. Yeah, and, not and we have screamed that at the top of our lungs. I mean, we have, we have screamed that at the top of our lungs. And you know what? I, I would just fucking love to disappear back into the 80s and spend the rest of my life at an arcade in the mall and have Orange Julius every day and hot dogs and shit. You know, I loved that when I was a kid. Of course. You know, I did. I, I'm a part of it. I am a product of this system. And I am observing partly what I've become and 
you know, the rude awakening of realizing what you've become as a result of not taking a good hard look at where you've been, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not living in the past. It's like, if you don't fucking know where you came from, then you don't have a future. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've, and you've been very open about the, the, the struggles that you've had in your life, you know, uh, certainly Mm -hmm. there's a, direct connection between the sort of self-destructive urges, you know? I mean, do you feel like that comes from the, 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 uh, does that sort of emerge out of that unexamined, uh, starting point? Yeah. Yeah. Because basically you're just internalizing what was, what happened to you. And then you wield the ax against yourself and you spend the rest of your life, you know, like I talk about in, um, Basically, that that is the thought that's wrapped up in the DQ comment on um, um, in the song. Uh, just so you know, you know. Just so you know, I always knew that you loved me, and I say, um, yeah. Sometimes I still get my DQ on, and no, I'm not talking about Dairy Queen. I'm talking about Don Quixote, who's battling um, these windmills. Yeah, you know, basically, which is a metaphor for projecting what happened to you onto the present because you haven't been able to process it and because you've basically become the the one you you have become the one who's wielding the weapon against yourself who's you know brandishing that hatred against yourself now and you know i'm no i'm no exception yeah and that's such a that's such a scary thing to think about too to imagine that we to imagine that we you know that that's, that you've internalized those things and that you and that you that you're the one punishing yourself now like the, those who punished yeah. you are they don't have the power over you that they used to have but um yeah but you built them you built some version of them in your head we all do that i mean of course it's 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 but the fact that you're making this art that that uh strips that further back and 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 also turns it into something that like i said feels so joyful and uh and and life affirming is you know do they for, but yeah because, because it is because it does because it is going to you know i mean it's all it's going to end in death anyway it's all it was always going to end in death and the the truth is is that there's is that you know life is hard and it's hard for everybody you know, and there is a silver lining. And the silver lining is, is that you can be awake in order, you can become, you know, I think, you know, my joy comes from, I mean, shit, it's the stuff that our parents and our grandparents were telling us when we were kids, you know, when they look at you and they shake their head and they say, you don't know. And it's like, at some point, the little boy has to wake up and, you know, realize that, you know, me sitting here, for example, talking to you, you know, thinking about, you know, and yes, I know it sounds corny, but it's also quite miraculous thinking about all of the processes that are taking place for me to be able to sit the way that I want to sit and voice myself to you and look at you and see you with my eyes and and um, hear the sound and see the colors. And um, I mean, it's truly incredible. And I've taken, you know, you know, packed into my music as well is, is also the idea of, of taking everything for granted mm-hmm. because you're, because you're self-absorbed by trying to dig your way out of this hole. And all of that is happening. like you said, at the same time, Yeah. you know, um, 
because in the end, as we talked about before, you are responsible for yourself. And yes, we go through horrible things in our childhoods. And, but unfortunately, nobody can, I mean, it's just logical that nobody can, nobody can get out of it but you. Nobody can learn how to live but you. Nobody can do it for you. So you got to, you got to, you do have to go out there and show up anyway, you know, and you have to not quit um, because there is, you know, maybe you have to move. Maybe you, maybe it's right in your backyard. Maybe you have to go across the ocean, but you know, your place is definitely there. You, it's up to you to, to find it, but also I think probably to, to create it, you know, cause it's. Yeah, you exactly. You have to, you have to be, to use a word that I really hate, you know, from the eighties proactive. Um, <laughs> it does, you know, you, you have, you have to take the initiative and continue to show up while, you know, trying to be cognizant of the fact every day that there's, you know, that there is great beauty and great, incredible shit happening, you know, all the time. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I still, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely want to talk about all of the stuff that's happening because it's, it's just everyday life, that's what it's like, right? Do you? Do it's all happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all at once, and that's what makes it, uh, both uh, unfathomable, but also uh, uh, if it wasn't, yeah, what what would we what would we do? You know, it's it's so it's it's yeah. all wrapped up in that. I I wonder you are are you still working on on a on a biography, a book? I am, but not. <laughs> I'm just sort of. I'm just sort of. You know, because I didn't feel like, you know, when they when they wanted me to write it, you know, they sort of wanted me to write it right away, which was years ago. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like I'm, you know, I'm still right in the middle of the process of everything, you know. You mean so, so I'm going <laughs> to work a little longer. I, what's that? Do you do you mean like in the process of, of living of the story that would be the book? Yeah. 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 I really feel like it's still. um you know, I'm, I'm still in the middle of the process. It's not like I, you know, it's not like I got a career in music. If anything, you know, the, the whirlwind of the music industry and just traveling all the time sort of keeps you from being able to process things, you know? And so I, you know, um, that's another thing about this record was that I had the time to actually let it happen the way that it needed to happen and to actually come out fully formed, you know? Does it does it feel different than the other records in that way? Yeah, I mean, I you know, my third record, my third solo record was sort of like there was a touring schedule before I even started recording. Yeah, that's that's heavy. That hangs yep. over you. Oh man, I mean it was sort of horrifying for me because I just had two really great albums behind me that I was really proud of and I didn't um, but I look back at that record and it might be sort of, it, it might be tough to, but I think you can recognize me quite clearly in all those lyrics on that record. I'm, I'm actually really proud of it, but it was probably the most difficult one. Just, yeah. Out of all of these. Yeah. That's interesting because obviously what you're talking about on this record is, is, is also difficult, but it does, I'm glad that there was a sense of maybe ease or not ease might be the wrong, the wrong word, but just time for it to, to, to happen. And, uh, yeah, yeah and, I, and for you to just make sure you got, 
I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe everything, maybe everything is exactly the way it should be. Who knows? You know, <laughs> like with every record. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, but um, I definitely, um, I felt like I could take my time um, to some extent. I mean, there's always somebody in your ear going, money, you're not earning money, you're spending money. And, you know, sure, blah, sure. Blah, blah, blah. How, you know, but how about the part yeah. of how about the part of you that that tells you you've already alluded to it a little bit, but when you when you know it's right, um, are there times where it's harder to get to that point because you don't have sort of an end time in mind? I mean, does does the does the deadline aspect feel for you like it can be beneficial? Absolutely. And I think there's always a time, there's always a time when that needs to really come into play because you, you know, there is a time when you need to stop and, you know, and it's, and it's, and it is done. And, and a lot of times you, if you don't, if somebody's not there saying, you know, stop, then you might just never finish, you know? Yeah. 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 That that deadline thing, it is, you know, it can be, I mean, I really don't like, having a tour planned before I go into the studio, that's not good. Yeah. But I also, you know, you also don't want to have endless time either. You need a, you need a structure and I need somebody, you know, it was very helpful. You know, Kate was very good at um, helping me focus. Yeah. Cause I am, I'm a bit of a child, you know, <laughs> she <laughs> who's easily distracted. You know. <laughs> So, she, so you, you kind of needed her to, or she was at least helpful in terms of pointing you in the directions that you felt like you needed to go. Well, yeah, or just saying, yeah, you're, you know, you've, you've, you've started going in this direction, and we know it's the right one, so keep going, or come back to that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You're, you're trying to, or you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll just go off on tangents talking all afternoon because I love to have great conversations, and so do other people but you're trying to do something else here, you know? So it's good to have somebody to, you know, so just have, just have somebody's presence, you know, to, to know that, you know, you can't just, you've got other people to think about too, who have, who have come to this country, you know, to work with you. Yeah. And, yeah. And you're here to do a job. And, and so you, you know, when nobody else is around, you can just, quit and lie on the sofa and read or play video games if you want to um nobody can stop you but you know when 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 you've got some structure it's really that's something that i really benefit from too so yeah well this i think i'm i'm belaboring the point but (laughs) yeah it's definitely a good thing well this record feels to me like such a a, such a, a great statement and it's a really like i said it's a deeply enjoyable listen and um Thank you. It feels like uh, it feels like a great statement about what makes survival um, worth it. Basically, I guess I, you know. <laughs> um, totally. And and I totally agree. What what makes it worth it to just keep showing up? Because yeah, you know, even even in spite of the knowledge that it is going to continue to get harder, and you get you get harder and harder lessons as you you know as you go along, and you're ready for them. But you become much more adept at um, at navigating the landscape, and you know you gain wisdom. And if you you know, and one of the beautiful things about going through some of the things that I've been through is that you know you, you get 
you is developing compassion for other people's situations and just other people in general. Thank you so much for taking the time and for making this beautiful record. So much, I really, man. really enjoy it. Yeah, just have a great evening, I guess. <laughs> That's going to do it this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Transmissions. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls do visual work for us. Our transcript this week was by Ella Courtney and Chloe Chandler. Thanks to them both. That's right, we're, we're running transcripts of each episode of Transmissions over on Aquarium Drunkard along with our show notes. So if you want to quote somebody or if you'd rather uh, read the talk than listen to it, um, although I guess if you're at this point and you're hearing me right now, that uh, doesn't describe you, but maybe it describes somebody else. So we've got transcripts over at Aquarium Drunkard. Check them out. The show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard founder and our top of the show announcer. You can hear him every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., on the long-running Aquarium Drunkard Show on Sirius XMU at 7 p.m. California time. Check your local listings. Always a great listen. We've also got an episode of Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard, our monthly showcase on DubLab for you, on Sunday the 20th from 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific, featuring my radio show, Range and Basin, as well as Tyler Wilcox's Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, an all-reggae mix from Justin and uh, something great from Daryl Norson, respected album artist and aquarium drunkard visual head. So tune in for that. Check us out on the Patreon. And next week on the show, we'll have uh, another new episode for you with uh, Ben Chasney, Six Organs of Admittance, talking about his incredible new album, The Veiled Sea. Uh, but before that, I think we're going to drop a bonus episode. I have to drop these bonus episodes sometimes because I end up with too many good talks to just throw them out weekly. Uh, and I've got a really great one coming up with Jeffrey Silverstein, uh, teacher, uh, artist. And we talked about his new Ted Lucas compilation and tribute. So keep your ears uh, open for that one. It'll be dropping sometime. It'll be a surprise. It'll be in your podcatcher and on the site. A nice little surprise. So check that out, and uh, we'll be back next week with another new episode. And uh, stay safe until then. Check out the Patreon. Thanks for tuning in. You can find it if you drive along Redwood Trail through the maple trees.